Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is an old colleague. Gemma Files was a film critic for iWeekly back in the 90s when I was writing for the Toronto Star. She's gone on to become an award-winning horror author and screenwriter. Her latest collection of short stories, In That Endlessness, Our End, was published earlier this year. Gemma picked The Borderlands, which was released in North America as Final Prayer. It's a 2013 found-footage horror movie starring Gordon Kennedy and Robin Hill as two mismatched professionals sent to a church in the British West Country by the Vatican to debunk stories of mysterious events in the building, only to find a situation that defies all rational explanation. If you've never heard of it, that's okay. It was barely released in North America, the new title didn't help, and writer-director Elliot Goldner only made the one dramatic feature. He mostly works in television documentary. But actually, that turns out to be more of a feature than a bug here. This is someone else's movie. When I first said that um, I wanted to be a screenwriter way, way, way back when, and people asked me what kind of movies I wanted to make, um, I said, well, I want to make horror movies. And they'd, and they'd say, what, like Friday the 13th? And I'd say, no, like Hellraiser. And nobody knew what that meant. Yeah. That tells you how long ago that was. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, you know, I've, I've lived with it long enough because I've been doing this for almost 30 years, basically, you know, um, I've li- lived with it long enough to be able to say horror is a spectrum of effects and it's a spectrum of emotions. And one of the things that I like about it is that it handles some of the most human emotions ever, not just pain or the threat of pain, not just fear or the you know, the, the threat of fear for, for yourself or other people, but also, you know, um, darkness, depression, um, a sense of foreboding, a sense of shadow, uh, a realization that life is sweet because it ends, you know, uh, a realization that you didn't know how good you had it. And then, and now you're suddenly in a situation where you're like, Oh shit, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and even uh, a sort of awe and a, a terror that is almost, um, is almost numinous, is almost that moment of the God appearing right. to you. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing that I really want people to explore and they never seem to in horror films yeah. where, where, you know, literal Satan is involved, where the devil is around. Doesn't that mean God exists? Don't yeah, just exactly. wait in it and tell me God's absent and letting us fight for ourselves. That's <laughs> fine. Natural, you know, yeah, that, all, all angels are assholes, and and God is a you know God is a paperback writer. Yeah, an absentee, yeah, an absentee yeah, landlord absentee to quote landlord. the other guy. But the yeah. those are fun. It's I, mean, I have nothing against them, but mm. this came up on an episode of uh, I Hate It But I Love It where. Jocelyn Getty and, and Kat Angus had me on as the guest to talk about Shyamalan's signs. Oh, and, yeah. and that movie fascinates me because if you believe its premise, mm-hmm. God is real and they're going to see their dead mom again, like that yeah. or dead wife again, that like the, there is a whole different level of storytelling that's just on the side, just off and the, off the and frame. And the faith is useful yeah. one way or the other, that faith is not a waste of your time that having faith is not a waste of your time, which I find fascinating mm. because, you know, we live in, a, in, in an age where, um, I don't know, it's an age of like 
fakery and debunkery and this idea that nothing kind of means anything. You know, people just lie and nobody cares because we've been lied to a thousand times before. And, um, you know, I, I don't understand how <laughs> on the political side of things, how people can be so upset and angry about stuff and yet not apparently give a shit about anything, you know, it's yeah. like, and just laugh at people when they're, when they're like, you are completely making me feel like total shit by denying me my identity and denying me my rights and denying me my history. And they're just like, yeah, well, whatever, cry harder libs. Right. You know, you're just yeah. like, well, why should I care about your whatever? You know, why should I care about your supposedly sacred stuff? You know, there is this sort of sense and, you know, yeah, there's a, there's a school of horror, which is about some bad thing comes from the outside and we meet it and everything is okay after that. You know, it's like there were things were normal and okay. And then they got bad and then we got back to the normal. Um, but even in something like, even in something like poltergeist, which really, really seems like that kind of restorative horror, that kind of heteronormative horror, that kind of, you know, normative horror. Yeah. Um, Family They're challenge, still, family wins. Yeah, exactly. They're still not going to have a TV in the in the room with them for probably the rest of their lives. <laughs> because if nothing else, they know that the world is not the way that they thought it was. And that's an intrusion of something larger. And, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's sacred. Maybe it's physical. You know, it could be parallel dimensions. It could be you know, ultrasound, it could be whatever, but you know, <laughs> it could be that you're on top of a mountain, which turns out to be something completely different, <laughs> you know? yeah. but um, you know, it's, but the world is different than you thought it was. You had a very specific idea of the world and then your mind was enlarged because your experience enlarged you. And I don't think that that's such a bad thing. And the weird part is that that's like the underbelly of horror. If you survive the underbelly it, yes. of horror is, yeah, if you survive it, yeah, if you survive it, it it's the underbelly of horror. Uh, it shows you what, what you can survive. It shows you that you can survive knowing terrible things and having your world reordered. It also, sometimes it's, sometimes it's not so much, wow, the world has monsters in it. Sometimes it's, wow, I guess I am what people would call a monster, but maybe that's okay. Maybe I am what I am, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's Clyde Barker all over. That's, well, his, yes. that's his whole thing, right? Like, <laughs> yes, having, and, having mentioned Hellraiser earlier, it just, it absolutely is the embrace your. Oh, Nightbreed particularly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was going to say, I, I'm trying yeah. to figure out what it is. It's not embrace your inner monster. It's wear your monster on the outside. Yes, Exactly. Um, and you know, certainly that comes out of, uh, that comes out of being gay, uh, that comes out of, that comes out of, you know, coming of age during the era of AIDS, it comes out of all that, but it also comes out of, you know, it's like it, there's a, there's a heterosexual version of it in Cronenberg, mm -hmm. you know, where it's like, you know, body horror is the thing that you think that you can't talk about because it will wreck you coming out of you literally and yeah. it doesn't wreck you it just changes you it just 
makes you something else. Mm -hmm. You saw Possessor? I did, yeah. Yeah. I was really, really interested by that. I almost picked that, but I didn't. Okay. It's, yeah, yeah it's a film that I, I think right up until it goes full conceptual, I was on board. Mm -hmm. And then it just yeah. sort of, it didn't exactly lose me, but it didn't manage to come back from that for me. It was one of those things where the resolution that, that Brandon Cronenberg comes up with requires a sort of double blind fake on the audience that doesn't seem practical in addition to all the other stuff that's been going on. I don't yeah, want to spoil get, it for the listener, but no, I'll absolutely. Cut it. And, and, and neither do I. Um, but the stuff with the kid at the very end, is like, come yes. on, when did that happen? You <laughs> well, just showed me how difficult this is. <laughs> and you had a person say that they can't do this anymore. But I guess that shows you how much of an investment she has in X, Y, Z. Yeah. <laughs> At any rate, um, I, yeah. I, I think, I think it, reward, it rewards rewatching. Um, for me. I'm, yeah, I'm curious to revisit it actually now that it's yeah. showing up on the streaming services. But yeah, but ab absolutely, yeah, that idea that the thing inside of you that you think that you can show to nobody because then they will. Yeah, they're all going to laugh at you. Yeah. You know, they'll laugh at your dirty pillows and the fact that blood is exploding out of your head and, yeah. and that you can move things with your mind. You know, um, like five years later, Carrie would have been an amazing X-Man. She would have been fine. She just she born at the wrong time. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And had she been in the X-Men universe, that would have been an okay backstory. You know, I mean, that's pretty much, uh, God, Cannonball's backstory. You know, it's like I lit myself on fire in the in the coal mine. You know, and everybody blew up. It's like, yeah, oh, so God. so many mutant origin stories are, and I killed a couple of people, but you know, they were bullies. Yeah, yeah or I killed a bunch of people, and I felt terrible about it, That's and I true. still feel terrible about it. Yeah, <laughs> good, you know, good, good for Logan that he can't remember half of his life. <laughs> yeah, all the corpses. It's handy for him. Yeah. Uh, it's a coping strategy. Yeah. So, um, you know, so these are all things that occurred to me as, you know, uh, as a, as a horror writer. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's strange because, you know, in the beginning I didn't particularly think that found footage was going to work as a genre, even as it widened and widened and widened. And the funny part is that you still can't really search for stuff under found footage you can't just you know feed found footage into an algorithm on a streaming service and go no 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 i want to watch found footage yeah you know um well it's a mode yeah it's it it yeah my my husband says it's not really a genre it's a mode and you know it's like and a bunch of things fall under that right you've got you know you've got um this is taking place right now so live streaming, mm -hmm. you've got um, the most recent idea, which is Timur Beckman Batov's um, Screen Life. Right. Unfriended and, yeah. and then host uh, and just searching. now, right? On, and Searching, yeah. that's right, which isn't even a horror movie. I know, but Searching is a beautiful thriller and actually very moving. And uh, it is Screen Life. It's Screen Life from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, of course, you have uh, the widening category of docudrama or uh, mockumentary, rather. Right. Um, you know, some, some of which is docudrama. Um, the Shadow People, for example, um, which is a lot better than you would think, um, 
has sections where it's very obvious that an actor is playing the real guy doing reenactments of things. Okay. <laughs> but, um, uh, and most recently, uh, Savage Land, uh, which is another film that you should see. Yeah, I don't know that one. Yeah, Savage Land is fascinating because it's essentially about a guy uh, who lives in a border town in Mexico, uh, or New Mexico, rather. It's like mm -hmm. right next to the Mexican border. And he's, and he's uh, an illegal um, immigrant. Um, and he, uh, he's picked up after a huge wave of murder goes through the town. Like the whole place is cleaned out essentially. And because he's the only survivor, they're like, well, obviously he must've done it all. Um, and then they find that he, he's a, he's a photographer. That's what he does on his off hours, off hours. And they find that he actually shot a bunch of photographs that night. And so you're going through these still photographs and you realize that what he's taking, taking photographs of are zombies. They're okay. very obviously zombies, you know, and everybody's like arguing about it. They're all like, you know, it's like, oh, you know, my, my, you know, my son could do that, you know, on, on his, uh, on his computer, you know, could figure out, it's, it's like one of those deep fakes. Right. You know, it's like, how oh, does this guy know how to deep fake a zombie attack? And meanwhile, the, the one guy that you, who's fighting really hard to get him out of jail, um, is absolutely con convinced that it's actually guys in Halloween masks who went down to Savage Land to kill Mexicans. Okay. <laughs> like, like guys in, in Halloween masks. <laughs> He's like, yep, it's happened before and it's gonna happen again. <laughs> you know, and you're like, it's zombies, man. <laughs> The main guy is like so traumatized he can barely say anything in his own defense, as you would be. <laughs> yeah. That's a great setup. I have not. I'm not aware of this. Where yeah, did, you, American film. Uh, American film, and I found it on Tubi. Cool. So, All right, I will, go, I will go look for it. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to get. I'm trying to figure out a way to hook back because there was something you said about the the thing that you about being forced to confront the fact that the universe is bigger than you believed. Yes, which is, exactly. Which is kind of what the Borderlands is about, but not really, because in the end, things are much, much smaller. And both They're different, in, though. Yeah. They're different. Well, exactly, you both know, metaphorically like no, and, nobody's, and literally. Nobody's idea of how the universe is is exactly correct. Yeah. So, yeah, let's, let's go to the Borderlands. Yeah, so you have a film here where three characters uh, offering opposing viewpoints... Or and, mm -hmm. and somehow complementary as well. There are alliances being formed and broken up throughout. Three yeah. people show up in a small little place in rural on England. The borderlands. On the um, borderlands. Probably between England and Wales, I would think. It looked like that it, looks, yeah. Looks you like can the usually, Welsh borderlands. There's a signature, so dumb, but I know this. There's a signature yeah, fence okay. construction that, yeah. uh, that shows up in the Welsh, uh, in Welsh farmland. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought I caught a couple of glimpses of it and come, it's yeah. just a couple of the walls that they have near the, uh, near the church, but it, it's, it reminded yeah. me a lot of, uh, Phil Rickman's, um, work. Uh, Rickman is a guy who writes horror novels, but he also writes, uh, I guess, thrillers, mysteries, um, that often have a, a little bit of the supernatural going on in the background and they're all along the border. Okay. So. And the story deals with, um, how can we put it? Catholic debunkery. People who show up to disprove miracles. 
Yeah, um, specifically, uh, they are the Congregation for the Causes of the Saints. They investigate paranormal activity, reapplications for sainthood. And they're called in by Father Krellick, who is the one priest um, in a very old church, which has just been reopened. It was not quite um, uh, desacredized or whatever you call that. Oh, I know this. Deconsecrated, yeah. yeah. Deconsecrated. It was not quite deconsecrated but it was allowed to lie fallow for a long time. In fact, um, since pretty much the 18, 1800s, like the 1830s or something like that, mm-hmm. pretty early, yeah, pretty early. Um, and uh, I think to some degree, because it's kind of hard to get to, you have to go across a, a cow field to get there, yeah. <laughs> as, as we find out. Yeah. <laughs> Which like, is one, uh, of those, one of those great subtle horror moments where the place is secluded for a reason, that it's yeah. just quietly forgotten or overgrown and you know this is a movie that wears its inspirations pretty much on its sleeve it immediately someone just mentions going to look for edward woodward and it's uh there's some other stuff towards the end that visually references a few other movies um specifically but or lovingly really but it it is the kind of thing that encourages participation. Like it, it welcomes a sense of the history of these films and the, um, the weird Aleister Crowley uh, craziness that happens in, in closed do- uh, behind closed doors in churches where they shouldn't happen. There's, yeah, exactly. there's an aura of bad in the yes, church. There is, there is a definite aura of bad. And it's not just about, you know, kids break in and uh, you know, drink, uh, drink 40s and spray paint on it every night. It's um, it, it just seems like it should have been left alone and you're not entirely sure why. Um, at least one part of it is probably Norman, so it's very old. Mm-hmm. It's like upwards of a thousand years old. So um, anyways. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to go through it beat by beat or anything, but I'm just setting the stage. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, the characters are drawn again, just well enough, right? That by the time the horror arrives, we already have a really good sense of how everyone will react. You've got, it's ingenious, right? Because if you have no money, it's the Jaws argument. If the shark doesn't work, you have to care about the people. Yes. Yes. You have to build up these three characters. One of them loves rules. One of them loves being angry. And one of them is the young, uh, the atheist, the young tech guy who's just there on the job, who is Robin Hill from Kill List, which it took me about half an hour to recognize. Um, but yeah. that's that's a sort of you cannot go wrong with these three archetypes, yeah, right? Absolutely. You put them in a room and they're immediately in conflict with one another, with or without the devil. Yeah, and you know, Deacon, um, the the Scottish priest, the guy who loves being angry. I mean, he's <laughs> uh, he is a guy who has obviously been inside the church a long time, and uh, his job is debunking. Um, spiritual activity and it's eaten away at whatever there was of his faith, I think. And, you know, he's left in a strange place where he's, he's got to be a priest. There isn't really anything else yet. He knows how to do, but he, I I think he does feel like what he does for a living is poisoning his sense of God, you know, his sense that there's God in anything except maybe nature, but not absolutely. You know, it's like, how do people react to God? Well, they, uh, you know, they cut 
little holes in their daughter's hands and, you know, uh, to uh, fake having stigmata. And uh, if they die of peritonitis, then they say things like, now you make my girl a saint. Um, And, you know, Mark, on the other hand, who is younger than than Deacon, but above him, um, you know, he he is the guy who loves rules. Uh, He also absolutely believes in God, but he believes in God in a very a very um, structured way. And all the stuff that they get called in on annoys him in a completely different way. Yeah. It's it's the different way of like, you know, what is all this medieval crap? <laughs> you know, it's like this is the kind of re- you know, this is the kind of stuff that keeps people from joining the church in the first place. <laughs> you know, it's like all this devil stuff and all this, you know, Satan worship and all this, you know, whatever. You know, it's like, no, you know, let's like let's just get into the you know, let's just throw the old testament away. <laughs> and um you know, just keep with the keep with the good stuff, and you know, it's like that's what I'm looking to do. And and then Gray, the tech guy. Um, what's fascinating to me about him is that he is often the person who's arguing for the miracle. Yeah. And it's not because he really believes in it, <laughs> but he's like, yeah, but wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if there was something? <laughs> you know. Yeah. And both of them are like, no, <laughs> no, it would be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Deacon and Mark are structured, well, the reason they're in this story is because of the lines of work that they've chosen, both of which depend on them saying no, that there yeah. isn't anything. And that that contradiction is the thing that fascinates me in, in all of these movies where an expert shows up to debunk something and is proven wrong, is what happens when you're proven wrong? What happens when you are presented with inarguable evidence that the thing you don't want to be happening is happening? Yeah. And... Sometimes you get a Godzilla movie where a scientist is really happy and embraces the possibility. And sometimes you get The Exorcist where, oh, Christ, we really have a devil. We have a, we have a real problem. Um, I guess my favorite moment is in all the paranormal activity movies is the scene about two-thirds of the way from, through the first one where the psychic shows up for a consult and leaves and just like, nope, 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 can't be here, can't be here, can't be here. That spoke to the the world that film had created so well. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I, I can't help you. And if I stay, it's just going to attack me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're doomed. So bye. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> yeah. And that actor just kills it. Like, he's genuinely apologetic and nauseated and scared. And yeah. what is it, 90 seconds of screen time and you learn everything about this? He'll be haunted for the rest of his life by not being able to help them? Doesn't matter. Yeah. He's leaving. Yeah, he's got he's yeah. to leave. And here, of course, you have three characters who just won't go, who just keep pushing uh, because because they need to know. And whether they want to prove it wrong or whether they, like Gray, get suckered into the possibilities. Yeah. They just, they can't stop. Or Deacon responding to Gray Mm. and going, on the one hand, I don't want to think that something real is going on. And on the other hand, fuck Mark. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) Well, that's what I mean about the three of them being in perfect opposition to each other. They're they're accidentally egging each other on into this just because of their personality conflicts. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, there's so many tiny things in this film that are done perfectly. Um, You know, we've we've gotten kind of used to 
glitches being shorthand for there's weird shit going on. Sure, yeah. But the glitches are choreographed in such a perfect way. It's not like, you know, suddenly uh, that you just, you know, laid something down on the, uh, on the floor and shrugged it all over, you know, to, to make things appear. It's more like, you know, no, here is where the glitch happens. Here is where the glitch happens. What does that mean? Does that mean anything? Um, and the way that it slides from Father Krellick sort of making something up to get people to come to his church, but what's the reason that he's making something up for people to come to his church? <laughs> you know, what is actually like pushing him to make stuff up to come to his church? Um, and yeah, um, and then of course what we eventually come to, which is the, the very interesting um, moment that it slips into pure folk horror, where it's like, it's not about God and Satan per se, although we do have that, um, you know, horned figure on the, <laughs> on yeah. the wall underneath are, the church. But, they're yeah. around, I think it's fair to say. Like, this is a universe yeah. where there are yeah. actual personifications they're just not in this movie necessarily for very long. Yeah, but but it's much more the idea of. I mean, I particularly love um, the uh, uh, the Exorcist that they bring in. Father um, Calvino. Father Calvino. Lovely talking man. About how? Yeah, he is. He is a really lovely man. Um, yeah, up until point, and <laughs> you know, uh, talking about there's so little we know about some things because the church has been very effective at destroying the knowledge that came before. You know, um, it's sort of like if you brought in a bunch of conquistadors to try and um, fight something from, you know, Mexica, Aztec mythology. Yeah. And they'd have to be like, yeah, sorry, we burned all those things. Uh, you know, all the codexes, we just burned them and we didn't, we, we didn't really learn how to translate them because they were like, because we were like, oh, it's just demon worship. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and here, you know, you're dealing with um, something older, something much older, um, which is so far away in time from where they are now that they don't even have a name for it. They just have a symbol. Yeah. Which, which is something else that is a nice little reversal on the usual where the experts have hidden knowledge and, you know, the sacred books and all the secrets. It's so yeah. much more unnerving to think that these supposed experts just aren't prepared, that they don't yeah. know that they're, they've just been debunking rather than proving. Yeah. And, and in a lot of ways, when you're dealing with something um, which has a historical basis you uh something that gives it more reality is the idea that here is a here's a lacuna here's where there should be something but there's nothing there and something obviously happened but we don't know what it was you know it's like that's what keeps the bell witch going <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. like, what's that about i don't know <laughs> yeah um you it's know, the it, it's the ancient yeah that it's what is it's the moment in the ring in the in the American in the Verbinski remake of the ring where the kid looks at his mother and says you helped her yeah it's just that one moment of oh I see none yes. of this makes sense it, yeah. it does it has a logic but I was misinterpreting it and, yeah exactly and in and in the original ring the thing about you know frolic and brine goblins be thine right which obviously you know it it reminded me very much of. Um, 
you remember when uh, there was the pearl and the Mandarin and you used to be able to, you know, go see uh, <laughs> Hong Kong movies straight from Hong Kong. Oh yeah. The uncut and, stuff. Um, yeah. The uncut stuff. They were always subtitled. The subtitles were very weird, but mm-hmm. you know, you could always, you know, you could always kind of figure out what was going on, but every once in a while, somebody would say something which made no sense at all. And you'd be like, I think that that's a joke in Mandarin that got translated into Cantonese and then into English. And you're like, and you know, everyone around you would be like, ha 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 ha. And you'd be like, okay. Yeah. You know? Clearly and, it lands for some people. Yeah, exactly. So frolicking, frolicking brine goblins be thine is very much like that for me, you know, where it's sort of like, uh-huh. Okay. All right. Um, an, another uh, another found footage movie that does this extraordinarily well. Another Japanese found footage movie is uh, Noroi the Curse. I think I've seen that. It's about what fifteen years old. Mm, yes. Okay. Yeah. Rings yeah. a bell, anyway. Yeah, that guy's a kind of fascinating uh, Shiriashi, um, and he's kind of fascinating because almost everything he does is found footage. Oh. <laughs> it's all it's all shot on uh, on on video, definitely. Um, and I've seen so far, uh, two films of his that I think are absolutely great and, and the rest of them are okay. Um, uh, definitely Noroi and, uh, Okotu, which is almost like a side call to Noroi because the guy with the uh, tin foil hat pops up again. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, in both cases, it's like something happened. It was a long time ago. We buried it. And we don't really know what that thing is anymore because everybody was like, no, let's all forget about that. <laughs> you know? It's like people lived in a, in an area that's under a lake now and they made a demon or they made a fetch or something like it was a kind of magic that nobody does anymore. Or it's, Oh, is this useful to know this? <laughs> you know, It's like, maybe it's not because you can't really do anything about it. Yeah. So yeah. it's like you went up against that, you know, um, that thing that occurs in history where you're like, what happened between here and here? We just don't have any record from that. Yeah. And it's We're like, we, we know that a Nasir used to cheat people, <laughs> you know, but between here and here in Babylon, we just don't know about anything else. <laughs> yeah. There's just some bones. And, you know, we assume they were left here on purpose. It's, it's, yeah, it's runes and relics and all the all the fun stuff. I mean, and the ultimate revelation in in the Borderlands is that there is a sub 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 basement full of mm-hmm. horrors that have yeah. happened long, long, long before, or maybe not yes. that long ago. And well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is the thing. I mean, you know, some of the. Yeah, I, I would think that if all of those bones dated back to the 1830s or whatever, uh, a lot of them would be gone. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, you know, obviously there's uh, a sort of signal that comes out from this place where it's like, I want you to do this. I want you to, you know, take your kids and, you know, put them in cages and give me their blood and all this and all that. Um, But also, you know, where does this thing come from? And it's this fascinating, almost, I don't know, Alan Moore-like image of the worm under the hill. Mm -hmm. It's like that... You know, it's like, it's, it's not so much a God as some huge kaiju sized Cthulhu, you know, under creature that possibly can project telepathic, you know, 
ideas into people. If you if you're dumb enough to come and squat on its hide for a while, <laughs> you know, it's like So, Father Trellick, why don't you get people to come to this church? Kids. Why don't you get kids to come to this church? Oh, yes, that sounds good. Mm. Uh, you're God, right? Yes, uh, I am a God. <laughs> but if you go down far enough, you discover essentially that you're inside the gut of this thing. It's like you crawled up a tapeworm's ass. <laughs> and thus leading to one of the most horrifying endings that I've ever seen on anything. Really? I, it's funny because I, I had seen Kermode say that it goes somewhere. I, this is, we talked about this before, like a couple of weeks ago. My, my big problem with found footage is knowing that nothing can happen until the last two minutes. Because mm. if it's found footage, there's a reason someone lost it and yeah. you can't lose it till the end. Yes. So it's not that I didn't enjoy it. And it kind of went exactly where I thought it was going to go mm-hmm. in the end because it's just about isolation. Once people go down those stairs, they're not coming out. Yeah. But it didn't strike me as, I guess it's just that I don't have that claustrophobia button, but it was, I was intrigued. It's it's it's, the claustrophobia button, but it's also the, the idea of being melted by stomach acid. Mm. I mean, that's, that's not pleasant. It's not no, something it, I look forward to. It's not to. pleasant, obviously. It's not something to look forward to. But also, you know, to be frank, I don't want to either be gray screaming in the dark, you said there was nothing, you said it didn't exist. Yeah. Or Deacon having to, you know, like hold on to gray's disintegrating hands. And he can't say anything, you know, except, you know, to start doing the Lord's Prayer. And that's about it. You know, it's like there's no... Um, you know, it's one thing to die. It's another thing to die in total despair. And it's another thing to die not being able to console someone that you really have to think that you got killed. So it's you know? more of a, it's the existential dread and the yeah. collision with hopelessness and not yes. faithlessness exactly, right? Because something, faith is being confirmed for somebody, just not you. Yeah, thank you. Faith is definitely being confirmed for somebody. Um, and to some degree, the fact that, you know, I don't see it as a, I don't see it as a, um, a defeat that Deacon begins to pray at the end, mm-hmm. you know, to some degree, he, what else is he going to do? He's a priest. But, you know, I think that this moment for him confirms, as you say, that there is something and therefore there must be something else. You know, it's what what that wonderful uh, line from um, uh, from Dust Till Dawn. You know, those things straight out of fucking hell. And if there's a hell, yeah. Jacob, it's got to be a heaven. Got to be. You know. Yeah. It's like I'm a mean yes. <laughs> servant of God. <laughs> I still like that movie. Uh, so do I. It's so, so much I. fun. And again, one that's about ancient evil, sort of bothering the present day in an unexpected yes. fashion and a world where your worldview gets enlarged you know i mean i remember having a it wasn't really an argument it was more like a, just a conversation with um with roger ebert um you know where i said well isn't it possible that this is a world where you know crime and vampires just exist in the same world and you didn't know it until then 
He's like, yeah, I, I guess you could see it like that. But, you know, I was just enjoying the crime so much. <laughs> it's like, well, I can't, you know, I can't fault you for that. It was good crime. Yeah, <laughs> but, the, you know, the fun of From Dust Till Dawn is the match. I mean, yeah. now the mashups are baked in, right? So a film yeah. doesn't change gears that way anymore. No. But I, I remember being so thrilled when it turned into a monster movie, because what's this title supposed to be otherwise? Of course, there's going to be something scary. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, if it had just stayed a Tarantino-esque, Rodriguez-esque, you know. Um, Hostage picture. Criminal, yeah. yeah, criminal shenanigans, <laughs> you know, uh, picture. You know, sure, that would have been fun. But I, I love the fact that, you know, again, we'd be made to care about those characters. And now they end up in the TD Twister. <laughs> yeah. Getting getting ground down like fine chunk. Um, <laughs> Sometimes a movie just knows what people want. Absolutely, that is absolutely true. And for me, you know, with with the uh, you know with the Borderlands with Final Prayer, um, it did give me what I wanted. Um, and you know, even if the absolute end, to some degree, it's like, well, you know, it's the last fifteen minutes. Where are we going to go? We're not going away. Yeah. <laughs> going down into the church, down into the gullet, down into the, you know, down into the worm. Oh, shit. We went up the worm spot. Oh, no. What? Yeah. But um, there's a moment earlier that I think actually might have been more what Kermode was talking about when he said that there were moments where he was just like alone in the dark with his heart hammering. And it, that's the walk that Deacon takes across the field where, you know, if nothing else, and I'm kind of surprised he never says this, if nothing else, I caught a ghost on tape three fucking times. <laughs> but yeah, you know, he's like, he's, he's going across the field in the dark, treading on cow shit, you know, hearing every once in a while, what seems like the trail of a voice yeah, and looking up and it's there for like a microsecond. And then, you know, where am I? What, where have I wandered? What am I, you know, it's like, what am I following? You know, should I go back? No, I have to go on. And a lot of that has to do with, I guess the base note of horror for me of like, you know, there's something almost Arthur Machen like about the borderlands and that is not something that I say very often. Um, Machen is a person that I think, you know, like now, now we've done Lovecraft to death. <laughs> I think yeah. people should move on to, to Machen, <laughs> you know? Um, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's moments in, in the Borderlands that are almost white people-like in their weirdness, their completely strangeness, where you're like, well, I've just wandered somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, is that grass? <laughs> are those bones? Are those are those rocks? Are the rocks talking to me? <laughs> you know, is that flower over there singing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just oh, saw yeah. Ben Wheatley's film in the Earth a couple of weeks ago, and it is the very definition of oh, I should just not be here. Cinema. Oh, I so want to see that. Yeah, it's really I'm good. Desperate. I'm desperate, desperate to see that film. Uh, well, by the time this comes out, it will have made it to VOD. Um, okay. I think there's a way you could see it as a sequel to a field in England, but you probably shouldn't. 
Like that would bring up too much, uh, too much in the way of expectations, but there's a reference to something that happened in 1640 and you're just like, eh, it's like two years early. Yeah. Maybe it's the same mushrooms. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, but it's um, very, very smart about what it does. And it, it does go into like the full on experiential psychedelia again. And it's been a while since he's done that. So. I oh yeah. It. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, super cool. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, horror always is about locating people uh, on the ground inside of something that they know can't happen and trying to describe it as though it it can happen. Mm-hmm. And if it happened, what would it be like? What would you hear? What would you see? What would you smell? What would you, how would it feel, et cetera. And yeah, there's a, there's a lot about the borderlands that really captures everything that I want out of that kind of experience um and you know some of the stuff that i've done uh i don't know how much of my stuff you got to read but um probably the three things that i'm most well known for are um a a short story that i wrote uh um called um the emperor's old bones uh another uh a novel novella or novelette i'd say novelette um, that I wrote called, um, with my husband actually, uh, called each thing I show you as a piece of my death. Um, and, uh, and my novel experimental film and in each of the latter two, um, there is a real attention paid towards trying to essentially make a found footage experience on the page. Um, to describe haunted footage, to describe, you know, what it's like to find something on the internet and pursue it and fall into a click hole that becomes one of those weird lacunae where you're like, should I be looking at this? Should, mm, is this a good idea? I'm not absolutely certain. And, um, you know, and some of that comes out of my background as, as, you know, a film critic um, and the, the interest that I have in film and particularly Canadian film, but, um, but a lot of it also comes out of just how immediate and almost corporeal the action of watching a film can be, you know, you're completely rooted inside of your meat suit, you know, looking out through the holes in your skull with your, you know, with your, uh, your, your wet, electricity charged brain going a mile a minute and meanwhile what are you looking at you're looking at light on a wall you're looking at something completely flat and completely not there almost ghostly but it's having an effect on you as if you were taking a drug or running a marathon or getting threatened in real life and you know that's that's something that I've always been interested in. And I keep returning to it again and again and again. And in a lot of ways, I think that's what I find so fascinating about found footage movies. Because you are there. Yes, you are there. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You are there right now. You wish you weren't. Oh, God. (laughs) Down the worm. (laughs) Enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. My thanks to Gemma Files, whose latest short story collection, In That Endlessness, Our End, was released earlier this year. 
You should also check out her 2015 novel, Experimental Film, which um, I'm only slightly disappointed to learn has nothing to do with the They Might Be Giants song. You can find Gemma on Twitter at Gemma Files, all one word, and you can find The Borderlands streaming on North America on Hoopla under the title Final Prayer. It's also streaming on Tubi in the U.S. It's also also available on Apple TV and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where I host the Now What podcast and I write the weekly Now streaming newsletter, to which you can subscribe at NowToronto.substack.com. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're there. Stay home, watch movies, wear a mask if you go out, get your shot if you can. I'll see you next time.